Thank you for tuning in to the Curator's Cup podcast, a podcast where creators tell their stories. This podcast is produced by Timbrook Group. Timbrook Group is a group of creators who are striving to make the world a more beautiful place through the things that they create. You are welcome here, and we're excited to share our stories with you. Welcome back to The Barn for another episode of the Curator's Cup podcast. I'm Trent, the magical radio DJ, here to take us on our next adventure. I'm really excited about this week's episode. Aaron and I joined each other via Zoom about a month ago and talked about his experience as a pastor, as a leader, and how he sees the direction of our culture moving and shifting. When we were having the conversation, we had no idea how eerily relevant it would be to where we're at this week. Aaron is a good friend, a mentor, and as you'll hear in his story, has had a pretty big impact on the direction my life is heading, seeing as I met my wife at this infamous table. I asked Aaron to talk about his family, the journey they went on to plant a church, and we quickly digressed into deep philosophical ponderings, which is our norm. I always leave my conversation with Aaron with a feeling of fullness, a deep inspiration to create, and a love for story. I hope that you can feel this way as well. So if you're looking to wrestle through some of life's biggest questions, enjoy cultural commentary and two friends laughing at each other, or you just love a good story, this one's for you. Here's my conversation with Aaron. Yeah, my name is Aaron McKay. Uh, I've had the honor to know Trent for, for some time now. Gotten to see all the different iterations of hairstyle and facial hairstyle. Um, it's, it's just one of the highlights of, of my life. By day, I am a... Um, I oversee marketing uh, specifically from a content and brand perspective for a small business in Southern California, uh, which shall remain nameless. And then uh, afternoons, breaks, and nighttime, I am a pastor of a small uh, house church called The Table. Uh, And we have been doing that for about three and a half years now. Prior to that, I've basically been in ministry for about 20, 23 years. Uh, in all sorts of different uh, capacities, um, you know, basically worked up your traditional ladder within American evangelicalism. So junior high pastor, high school pastor, college pastor, worship pastor, executive pastor, all of the different uh, pastoral hats you can wear. So I think, uh, yeah, I'm a bivocational pastor, uh, yeah. which has been the predominant expression of pastoral ministry for uh, 2,000 years that the church has existed. Yeah. So can you define a little bit, just real briefly, what a bivocational pastor means? Uh, So for the last, you know, hundred some odd years of Christianity in North America, a pastor was someone that did that uh, as their primary vocation, meaning they received a paycheck to care for a local congregation or community in, in a specific place. Now, I think as as America has, has trended more towards post-Christianity, uh, the ability to pay for um, a pastor or to, to have a salary uh, go to a pastor and have that person be engaged full-time in the work of the ministry uh, becomes less and less sustainable or less and less realistic. So uh, a lot of pastors in North America now are starting to experience the reality of pa- that pastors have experienced all over the world in places other than the West, uh, they've had to hold down an, a, a normal job 
uh, to pay for their family's income and, and, and cost of living and all those things. And they basically are a, a pastor uh, on top of what they do uh, in, the, in the workplace. Uh, so that's what I've been doing uh, for the last three and a half years in, uh, in, in large part, really doing it by, by choice. Introduce us to your family because I think that's just going to give really good context for the rest of the conversation to kind of know that it's, you're not just kind of off and by yourself doing this thing, but there's you've got a team, a family with you. Um, so introduce us to your family and kind of tell us a little bit about them and yeah. what they're like. Yeah, yeah. I've been married to my wife, Suzanne, for, man, I hope I don't get this wrong, 17 years. Yeah, so don't get her wrong on a podcast. <laughs> Because it's forever, forever in stone. And we have uh, four kids, um, two boys, two girls. The oldest is 13. The youngest is seven. Uh, And as far as ministry, um, my wife, we've really been a team from the get-go. All those things that that I listed off before, uh, she was as much of a leader as me, uh, specifically around uh, community creation. She's just really, really amazingly gifted at connecting with people. Yeah. and drawing them in. Um, and as far as our, hey, what what motivates you to start a church? Why do you want to even do that? Um, this is something that's kind of been in my head and my heart for a, a long time. And I think I originally approached her uh, with one of my lifelong friends and his wife, um, you know, maybe 20, 2009, 2010. We said, hey, we're, we've been thinking about starting a church. Yeah. And her my wife, Suzanne, her first response is, no, I'm, that's not something I want to do. Right. When we come back, Aaron shares a story how he and his wife decided to plant a church together and how her natural skill set is a primary catalyst for the community that they create. Here's more of my conversation with Aaron. Because we're such a team and because I believe um, family health, marriage health is my first ministry, I basically parked parked that desire for a few years until she was at a place where she wanted to do it yeah. and not even wanted to do it wholeheartedly, but there was a piece of her willing to, to venture the risk saying, sure. Hey, these are all the things I'm scared about. Uh, but I'm, I'm willing to risk it because I think life may yeah. be on the other side. So talk to me about what it means to create community and, and specifically her role in that. You kind of mentioned part of Sue's story is not necessarily wanting to be in that place but yet you you said now 10 years later that's kind of her primary role in in the table so kind of talk to me about what it looks like to create community and, and how specifically um you guys do that at the table hmm. yeah that's a that's a really really big question maybe going back in her story of origin she's just an intelligent person with a great memory and she picks up on um, social cues and language very, very easily. I think she she can walk into a room and very quickly understand what people are saying and what people expect. Uh, so very early age, she knew all the right answers. Um, so uh, I think a lot of adults in her sphere of influence place an expectation on her. Hey, you're a leader. Hey, you're always saying the right things. Hey, when you step into a room, you're taking charge and inviting people in. Um, and she was always kind of put in those positions, uh, but internally she didn't really have that self-belief. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think in, in some ways those, those expectations leaders placed on her were, were premature and unfounded, and it was based just on her ability to regurgitate knowledge. 
versus, you know, being able to demonstrate experiential knowledge. Mm. I think what happened between that 2009 conversation, hey, we want to start a church. And then when we really stepped into it in, in 2016, it was she was beginning to, to walk in that belief that, hey, there are pieces of what, what has been spoken over me all my whole life that are, are, are true. Yeah, and they really are. So I think the primary way that she she creates community around uh, her personality is um, mainly just question asking, listening, having a crazy memory about people's details. And and it's not that she just remembers them; they actually matter matter to her. Right. Yeah. She she follows up. So anyone who has who has been listening to this podcast has has heard of the table. So this is the Aaron McKay of the infamous table um, that we've talked about before. So uh, you won't see it because we're, this is an audio podcast, but I literally just raised my glass. So yeah, there you go. Glasses, so. glasses raised. We're uh, responsibly social distancing, but also because we're 3000 miles away. So the, <laughs> even if we wanted to be in the same room right now, it just wouldn't quite be possible. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Aaron talks content creation and reflects on his role of a pastor and how he sees himself living that role differently than the large majority of pastors across the country. Staff turnover at a coffee shop is a massive stress on the management team, but it doesn't have to be. Creating a culture that embraces the ebb and flow of a coffee shop staffing can be a difficult task, but Timbrook Coffee Group is a consulting agency created specifically for supporting coffee shops. Type timbrook.coffee into your browser, click on schedule your free consultation, and find out how they can support your shop's unique issues from the staffing and training to systems, operations, and bar flow, as well as budget. Again, that's timbrook.coffee backslash cafe schedule. We're back with more of my conversation with Aaron. Talk to me a little bit about what it looks like to create content um, at the table and how you've had to pivot and grow and how you present that content over the last 10 years, just kind of being in different roles in churches. Mm. I think from a super high level, uh, I think content, no matter what it is, if you're creating something, the, the better the content is, the more accurate it reflects the reality of a story that every human being is, is running off of. Every human being has a script that is functioning as a subtext of their life. We're trying to be saved from something, buy something to something. Uh, and everything that we create is, is a reflection, uh, either a good reflection or a negative reflection or a cloudy reflection of that, that internal reality or internal struggle every human being experiences. So what is, how am I defining salvation? What am I being saved from? What is the thing that is, is ushering me into the, the promised land? What, what's redeeming me? And then once I'm there, what does the good life look like? Um, that's the, the narrative arc of every human being's experience, uh, irrespective of culture, society, or demographic, or what have you, however you want to frame, frame the, the sentence, right? That's the story. Um, and I, so that, that's a high level is when I'm approaching creation, whether it's from, from a marketing perspective or trying to, to create engaging content. Specifically in regards to ministry, um, I think the, per, the biggest shift I've personally experienced, and in many ways, the scorecard that I've been able to put off my shoulders. I'm, I'm not carrying the weight of this scorecard anymore. Sure. Um, it, I, think, I think the expression of Christianity, specifically in the United States and the West, is spiritual transformation 
uh, is is measured by the acquisition of new information. Uh, mm-hmm. Somehow we can uh, provide ourselves with the illusion illusion that we're being transformed if we can just get that next nugget. Right. So that so, would be the that would be the buy something that you're talking about. If we're yeah, if we're saved from something, buy something to something. Yeah. That that nugget of information you would say is the buy something that right yep. now we're at as a majority yeah. culture. Yep. And a, a, the traditional expression of church in the West is a, a, a vocational pastor is in essence a, a paid professional who provides religious goods and services to uh, a passive, a largely passive audience. Provides nuggets, essentially. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because pe- people have their own, their, their lives, their struggles, the things that they're trying to be safe from. And my job as, as a pastor is to hold up the divining rod, find out what culture is telling them is most important. Look at the text. Okay, w- what does scripture tell me is most important? And try to find some sort of uh, interaction between the two so I can cast a, com- a, communing, a, a compelling piece of communication to invite them in to at least taste and see that the gospel is, a, is good news. Yeah. Um, but I think my own personal, and that's how I measured success. One is, okay, are, am I giving people nuggets? Yes. And are more people coming? Hmm. And if more people are coming, uh, there's more tithes, more offering. Yeah. Um, and as dark as that sounds, that's how many, many church leadership teams uh, function. Now, yeah. they, they have sincere motivations. They genuinely believe in Jesus and they want to see people transformed. But the primary way is that they're they're programmed or predisposed to measure the success of the ministry is that how many people are coming, what is what is the can we keep the lights on right so we can do this again next week, and then they go yeah. through the whole thing on repeat. What's an, what's the new nugget? Yeah. What's a new compelling story we can tell to engage people? Uh, again, a largely passive audience. Yeah. And for an introvert, for a creative introvert like me. To have an environment where I have a captive audience that is looking to me for life, <laughs> is looking to me for that, that next nugget, uh, that's just a, a recipe for a shipwreck soul. Mm. Several times in my ministry experience, I've, I've teetered on that edge of shipwrecking my soul, mm. of shipwrecking uh, my marriage or shipwrecking relationships. And at the end of the day, when I looked over the shoulders and, and kind of inspected the wake of my ministry, I didn't see a whole lot of sustained life transformation. Mm. Um, in, so, in yourself or in the people that you were shepherding? Yeah, ma- mainly the people that I was shepherding, Yeah, right? The people that did have sustained transformation, there was almost a direct correlation between proximity. The closer mm. someone was to my life, to the regular rhythms of, of our family's life or my own personal spiritual life, the more sustained that trans that transformation uh, became. Right. Sure. So I think what I discovered um, unintentionally, and I'm not the only person to discover it. I've had lots of really, really helpful pastors and authors that are way ahead of me uh, on this journey uh, that have helped point this stuff out is that people need to participate proactively in the transformation over their own souls. They can't passively consume content and we can't have a false expectation that they're going to be different. Right. What that's meant for the shift in how we actually do ministry is it's not a sermon centric uh, expression of ministry. It's not 45 minutes or an hour of me, you know, eloquently waxing uh, about scripture and culture and drawing connections between people's lives. It's, 
okay, here's a text. Let's literally read it. Let's read the text. And then here's five minutes of me framing the historical context. And what do people think about it? Hmm. In, in that, that liturgy of reading the text, framing it and asking questions on the front end, we have a shared meal uh, with a time of gratitude. And on the back end, we have communion where we were able to respond to the text in worship. Um, and I've, I've seen more sustained life transformation in the individuals participating in the rhythms of our spiritual life as a community than I really ever have in the previous 20, 23 years of ministry. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's actually really, really easy. I have a degree from seminary. Uh, what I'm doing, you don't need it, <laughs> right? You don't need a degree from seminary to pull off what I'm pulling off. Right. Very, very simple. And people's lives are different. Yeah. I'm excited for, for listeners to kind of hear this common, this common theme of language. Cause it's not something that Aaron and I overtly talked about, like, Hey, you need to say these words or, or you need to bring up these things. But this reality that when you engage in people's stories, your life will change your experience at the table and, and, and talking about when people engage in the spiritually oriented community, their spiritual lives and their, and their physical lives are, are changing. I, I asked Aaron to talk about the scorecard of being a good pastor, his honesty and reflecting over the past 20 years of his ministry and his depiction of humanity is incredibly beautiful. When we talked live, it gave me physical chills. Listen to what he says. Um, well, maybe to back up a little bit and then jump in and then kind of backing into that question uh, for, for those people that, that may be listening to the podcast that aren't necessarily coming uh, from a Christian worldview, a lot of this language and, and conversation may, may be new. Uh, but um, at one of the, the deepest levels, the Christian, Christian story is telling the story of the God creating a universe that uh, he wants to inhabit with his presence. Uh, but he creates it in such a way that he he leaves it unfinished. So uh, part of his creation, specifically humanity, can become co-creators with him. And that uh, in that process of co-creation, uh, it, that's actually where we discover the deepest threads of our humanity. That as we partner with God in co-creation, we discover who it is we were intended to be. Mm, I love that. Um, my own personal experience with God, as I as I stepped into the the, the deeper waters of, of leadership in, in a Christian context or leadership in a Christian church, is as I partnered with God in, in co-creating in these spaces, I found myself transformed, hmm. right? Uh, but somehow I missed that that was, that was the process that was happening. It was the journey of co-creating with God that led to my personal transformation. But somehow that, that transformation, the, the content that I was delivering to a passive audience, I expected that their experience to be different. I wasn't asking them to co-create or participate with me in any sustained way that called them or challenged them to step into areas or do things that they weren't comfortable doing. Yeah, I, th- I think it's when we step into uncomfortable waters, that's where we experientially get to feel the weight of the reality of our dependence as creation. Yeah. Right. We are created beings. And by definition, we are dependent. And when we step into uncharted waters, that's where we get to experience the character, the love and the fullness of of who God is to us in that relationship of co-creation. 
Sure. But I, I just had this artificial barrier where, okay, that's my relationship with God. This is us. We're, we're doing this because we're creating this stuff. But somehow everyone else's experience is going to be different. Mm. Um, and, and that's how the scorecard was designed. Um, and I, I just always felt heavy. I always felt like my effort, my energy was ill spent uh, because people weren't being transformed. They weren't experiencing the good life of what it means to co-create with God in the context of their own life. Sure. Um, so uh, that's the primary shift, yeah. but it, it hasn't been easy because I, I swam in those waters for, you know, 15, 16 years. Yeah. How do you then inspire people to be co-creators with God rather than just passive participants of absorbing wisdom nuggets or, or truth nuggets or whatever you want to call them? Yeah. Yeah, the new scorecard is hard. Like I was, I was saying a moment ago, the, the the other one is ingrained in the fabric of my soul. So I'm 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 not going to lie and tell you that every every week, every Sunday feels like um, I'm I'm investing my life in the way that I I really believe I need to. Because you know, when you when you look up and you have a, a a small room of people, you wonder if, as a pastor specifically trained by that old model, you wonder, you know, am I really making a difference? Mm. But then you you take a longer view and 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 remember and celebrate who these people were when they entered the community space, uh, and you can you can def- tangibly specifically call out new behaviors and character traits that were not present, you know, eighteen months ago, two years ago, three years ago, where these people are actively. Um, ministers of the gospel they were the bringers of good news in this in their own personal spheres of influence no longer is is success defined as hey just get your friend to church so they can hear the gospel it's their feet are actually covered in in the the gospel of peace they're bringing good news to their workplaces they're bringing good news to their families uh through being present through listening uh, by sitting in someone's suffering by bringing a meal uh, by serving, uh, by blessing, uh, and all of those relational investments that our community members are making that I really haven't seen other communities make in sustainable ways in, in my past ministry experiences. That's leading to generational life change. It's not just the individuals that are part, participants in our community that are transformed. Uh, it, it is concentric circles out, yeah. lives that are transformed, because they're getting to experience the good life of being co-creators with God. So I think the thing that finally hit for me is I took at face face value uh, the definition of what it means to be a pastor is that we are equippers of the saints for the work of the ministry. Mm. I think I had a fundamental misunderstanding that the work of the ministry was what happened in the four walls of the church on Sunday. It's just not that I'm, I'm not that important. Uh, and at the end of my life, in 60 years, 30 years, 15 years, God forbid, in two years, um, the thing that's going to matter most isn't, isn't how many people sat and listened to me on a Sunday preach an eloquent sermon. Uh, it's, it's that concentric generational measurement. Yeah. Is transformed lives, are, are they actually leading to uh, the invitation of other people? into the, the, the story of God to become co-creators and bring his flourishing in life to all of the cosmos. So I think having a, a podcast conversation like this 
me being on the back end of the last, you know, years and years of experience can make it sound like I have it all or you have it all sorted. Right. Right. And as Which a creative, <laughs> as a creative person, I think oftentimes creative people have a, have a tendency to uh, one feel like uh, who they truly are and the day at, day in day out practice of their life doesn't line up with their creative expressions. So they feel like there's a disconnect, a cognitive, cognitive dissonance They feel like a fraud. So they can't actually deliver whatever it is they're delivering creatively to the world uh, because they don't feel like they they've earned it or they have that voice. Uh, so that's, that's a, that's one thing. Uh, and also I think because, because of that, that emotional impulse of, Hey, I feel like a fraud. I feel like I have to have it figured out before I can share this stuff. Um, but in reality, uh, all of the things that I've just shared in the last, you know, 15, 20 minutes, um, they're, they're discovered truths yeah. that I, that I found along the way. So in reality, the vehicle of my own personal transformation the vehicle for my own earning the right of having a voice has actually been the process of co-creation. So don't wait for that moment. Don't wait for that moment that, Hey, I need to get here. Here's the threshold Then I've arrived Then I've earned it. And then I can share or it needs to be perfect. And then I can share, Um, create. Um, And again, you may not be a Christian, but I believe every human being is designed to create because they're made in the image of the infinitely creative God. So to restrain that creative impulse is to restrain the the fundamental nature or piece of your, your fundamental fundamental nature as a human being. Right. And as you create, you actually embrace transformation. Mm. Don't hold up. It's not going to be perfect. Uh, You're going to make mistakes, uh, but you're going to discover so much beauty uh, along the way. And at the end of the day, that's what creation is all about. It's, it's right. growing in our ability to appreciate true beauty. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. If you've been listening to the podcast for any amount of time, you've probably seen the common thread weaving all of these conversations together. That thread is when we create, it is not only valuable for the creator, but also it benefits the world because we are co-creators with God and creating a more beautiful world. So when we come back, Aaron and I pivot to talking about how digital creation has transformed the landscape of creativity, which then dropped us in headlong into a conversation about our current cultural climate. Uh, Remember when you're listening to this, we recorded this conversation over a month ago. We're back with some more philosophy with Aaron. I think the, the advent of the digital age has ushered in the the practical ability of so many people to be able to add to the creative conversation yeah. ways that they've never been able to do before. So you can literally have an idea and using a device in your pocket, you can, can bring that idea from concept to reality in an hour. And not only that, but you can publish it literally to the entire world. Not that anyone, not that everyone's going to be listening, but it's there. It's there for, for consumption. Um, so I think our digital environment has, has, an, has enabled a, a degree of creativity that we've never experienced before as human beings. Mm. I think creativity up until this point has been segmented to a very, very small portion of the population uh, to an elite class that has you know, been supported by the wealthy. Like, hey, I'm going to give you a, 
uh, an endowment or I'm going to give you some money to go do this this creative act. And now everyone has the ability to do it. And because we're at a, at a stage in, in human history where there are more wealthy people than I've ever been, we have disposable time. So more people are actually creating. Um, and I think the world that was promised 20 years ago is, is, a, is a world of inclusion and tolerance uh, and brotherly love and respect. And I think what has actually come to pass is, has been the de-evolution of humanity, mm. right? In essence, because there are so many creators now, there are so many streams of content, is that we have the ability to curate or pick and choose who we want to listen to. Yeah. Uh, we're going to listen to this person. We're going to listen to that person. Um, and in essence, I'm only listening to the things that I already agree with. Yeah. You're, you're uh, validating your own opinions yeah. by what you're listening to. And I think the, the reality is, is that's happened and we're experiencing it on, on a you know, geopolitical scale is uh, you have you, your polarized opposites of, hey, I'm going to listen to these people. These are my deals. These are my values. And my politics is my new religion. And I'm just going to lay waste to anyone that doesn't agree with me. Mm. So, you know, in 2006, when the iPhone was, was launched or whenever it was launched and when the Internet came to pass, you know, I, I have a unique perspective because I remember a time when there were no computers and I was living, I was in college when the internet happened uh, in 1986. I got my first email address. I, I mean, I, I experienced both sides of the fence and I remember all of the things that were promised when the internet and all of this stuff was coming to be. And it was, Hey, yeah, we're going to be a more tolerant and inclusive society. And in essence, we've devolved into, into tribalism. Uh, we are less tolerant, less loving, less willing to sit in an uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversation with someone we don't agree with. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a primary thing that I've seen shift in culture in the last 20 years um, is as much as higher education will push the ideals of, of tolerance uh, and, and everything else. Um, and I think there's probably hasn't been a, a less tolerant time in human history mm. and yeah. we can actually live that way. Because again, we can cloister ourselves in a small little section of uh, of our our digital world and just listen to who we want to listen to, right? Right. Yeah, and and almost ignore the reality that there are even people that think differently than me at all. Like it's not even like you can isolate, but yet not isolate yourself. That you can just surround yourself with people that that only think and, and feel and believe the things that you believe in and almost become numb to the reality that there's even someone that might disagree. Um, whether or not you're, you are even going to choose to put yourself in a place to have a discussion with them. After a quick break, we'll dive more into that idea that our culture has de-evolved with the birth of the internet and how he believes the church can step in and combat this de-evolution and actually bring resolution. At Timbrook Coffee Group, we are dedicated not only to helping you make the best coffee possible, but are also here to help you run your shop as efficiently as possible. Don't let the stress of running a shop keep you from the things you love, your family, or the rest that you deserve. Let Timbrook Coffee Group help you identify ways to streamline your systems, cut your bottom line, and increase your revenue so that you can enjoy work again. Schedule a free consultation on their website. Go to timbrook.coffee backslash cafe schedule today. We're back with more of my conversation with Aaron. Yeah, I think, I think the pre-internet, the world was just a lot smaller, right? People lived in their, in their neighborhoods. 
and in their cities. Um, and entertainment was, hey, you went to the movies, you went to the skating rink, you did, you went outside, you hunted, or you did whatever you did. But the the sphere of influence that you had, the relationships that you had, you interacted with those people on a on a on a you know rhythmic basis, and you had to have have relationships and maintain conversations with people that you didn't necessarily agree with mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, where now in in this new digital age, I, I don't have to do any of that hard work. I can literally you know Amazon Prime order something, and an hour later I get my groceries. Right. Uh, all the while, I'm listening to my my YouTube uh, channels of choice, so I only have to listen to and, and build relationships with the people that I want to listen to and build relationships with. Um, yeah, the, the story of Christianity is a story of 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 God um, becoming a human, literally in the flesh, incarnate. He took on flesh to be with us physically. What we're experiencing now in in our current age is a disincarnation. Hmm. Right. You'll, you'll see all sorts of really, really, or I'll have conversations with, with my teenage daughter, or you'll see funny party where you literally have a room full of teenagers at a party. Um, and they're all looking at their phones, literally not talking to the person, you know, 18 inches away from them. Mm-hmm. And as much as a Christian, right, wants to pat themselves on the back and, and, and say, Hey, they did a good job in, in the, in the nineties and the two thousands, scaring the crap out of young teenagers, not to have sex. They're teenagers that, you know, pregnancy rates and, 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 and premarital sex rates have gone down because people are just disincarnate. It's a lot easier to have a relationship with a screen yeah. and listen to people that you want to listen to versus having a relationship with a real life human being who can hurt you or disappoint you or, or break your heart. I, yeah, I think people are trending away from human incarnate relational interaction because it's easier and it's safer. And, um, they're basically spending their their humanity in that exchange. They're losing what it means to be themselves because yeah. we're made to be relational. Where where would you say the church needs to combat that de-evolution and, and foster growth and tolerance and actual relationship with people that you're not you're not gonna agree with on politics? You're not gonna agree with on hot button issues. Yeah, I think it's just consistent reminding of people that it's not easy, uh, but it's worth it. And we're not the first people to do it. If you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, uh, if you were to if you were to apply the same measures of what it looks like to be a good, productive Christian uh, to Jesus's early first disciples, and the way we measure that today is: Are you believing the right things about who Jesus is and what he said and what he did? Mm. Um, all of Jesus's, the apostles, the forefathers of our faith were really, really crappy disciples. Uh, by the time Jesus died, they, they, were, they were a mixture of belief. Some of the things they believed about him were great. Some of the things they believed about him were, were absolutely heretical. Uh, but Jesus was, was able to maintain continuity within his community of, hey, we're gathering around me and what I'm doing. You may not understand it, uh, but you're welcome here. Yeah. And, and if you look at the life of Jesus, he sat down at, at tables across from everyone, every cast off and, 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 you know, person that was unaccepted by culture, he was sitting down and extending uh, to them the fundamental dignity and value and worth they had as human beings. 
And in, in so doing, he invited them into a greater story. Uh, so I think, I think the, when Jesus was getting ready to, to, you know, the, the last supper, he was getting ready to, to basically do what he was going to do on the cross. He didn't give his disciples, you know, a, some sort of spiritual law. He didn't give them the four, four spiritual laws. He didn't give them the ABC. If you get all these things lined up, you're going to get D. Uh, he gave them a meal. Mm. And that meal wasn't just the bread and the cup. It was the entire experience of taking uh, people from all sorts of different walks of life, from uh, the, the, the militant person who wanted to literally overflow the, overthrow the government to the person that's in the pocket of the government, uh, you know, defrauding the, the, the general populace. Right. People were at a table together with right. different beliefs, and they somehow found unity in the person of Christ. And that sharing of that meal, um, it, it's it's a picture of what human life can look like. It's a picture of what uh, the new, new world when, when Jesus fully and finally returns will look like. Uh, but it's also a method. Honestly, it's not just a metaphor sure. for, for new creation, new heaven and earth finally being joined together. It's an actual method for how he did what he did. Yeah. And it's just building a safe place uh, of unity around, around shared experiences, whether that's a meal whether that's music, whether that's poetry, whether that you mentioned Dungeons and Dragons earlier, I, I rebuke you. That is heretical. It's of Satan. If you didn't grow up going to church, you may not catch the inside joke he's making here. If that's you, trust me, it's hilarious. We love D&D. Just look back a few episodes and hear my conversation with Christian about how Dungeons and Dragons saved a friendship. <laughs> that does not count. Uh, but any other thing that you want to create and gather people around as a safe place where people from different backgrounds can actually have an incarnate in the flesh experience yeah. with one another will we'll help them become more fully who they were designed to be. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Cause in that, and that takes, that takes the conversation full circle to what you guys are doing at the table where you're intentionally gathering around, you're gathering around a meal as a community. Well, not, maybe not in the last couple of months with, with <laughs> COVID-19, you may not be gathering personally around a table, but what you guys have been modeling for the last, for the better part of the last three years is gathering around a table and regardless of where the person's at, who they are, um, where they come from, they're welcome. And you, you sit and you eat and you express what you're grateful for. And you talk about, just the gambit of life experience, whether it's faith or sexuality or intellect or whatever anyone wants to, to have a question about or to wrestle through, like that's welcome there. Um, and it's so sweet because I mean, that's part of my story as well is showing up on a Thursday, my first day in California and just being like, I don't know who, who these people are but I was told that they're going to feed me and I'm welcome at the table. And little did I know that that was an actual place that, that, that was called the table, but it, there was a physical table and there was a physical, a meal and a gathering. And, and one of the things that we have said um, on earlier episodes of the podcast is that what is the focal point of that experience isn't necessarily what's on the table. It's the connection that you get with people around the table. And so by just providing that space, 
you're creating and, and, and partnering and co-creating with God, this community of people that are experiencing unity um, around a common need of food, of drink, of laughter and, and connection. I asked Aaron how listeners could support his ministry. His response was far deeper and more challenging than I could have ever expected, which I should be used to now, but still catches me off guard. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if there's any specific ask other than, um, you know, as, as a creator, um, take the risk and release what it is you're creating uh, into the world. Uh, but don't do it in a disembodied way. Because uh, there, there are a lot of creative feeds on, on Twitter, on TikTok, on Facebook, on Instagram, what have you, where they're just saying, hey, this is how it should be. This is how the world should be. Uh, but because there's no access that those creators are providing to the, the people they're, they're uh, publishing their content to, uh, there's no accountability that they can leverage. And this is a principle that I see uh, and, and this isn't original to me, but it's a principle I see expressed in the life and ministry of Jesus again and again, is that he was able to change the world because he gave people access to his life. Yeah. And that there, there is a, a deep principle of what it means to be a human being, that if you want to hold people, people accountable, if you actually want them to step in and create the new world, the better place you envision in your mind as a creator, the only way you can leverage that accountability and actually have people respond is if you give them access to your life. Mm. So don't be a, a clanging symbol, just shouting from, from a rooftop or from a mountaintop saying, this is how the world should be. Use your creativity to create a shared space where not only is it a platform for you to do whatever it is you're doing as an art or as a, as a businessman, as a producer of new things, whatever it is, there needs to be a place where people have an embodied access to your life, the good, the bad, and all of it. And the more access they actually have to your life and, and the process of your creativity, the more accountability you can leverage to actually invite them in to co-create with you the new world uh, you envision in your head when you sit down and create a, movie, yeah. a short, a foot, a photo, whatever it is, that world will not actually come to pass unless you invite people uh, to co-create with you through the access you give to your life. So uh, if you're going to, if you're going to carry the ethos of the table on, that's how you do it. That's how you support us. Uh, don't show up. We don't want necessarily want more people. We want you to stay where you are. Uh, don't give us money, take your money and invest it into the people and the places of need uh, that, that you see in your spheres of influence and create that shared space, give people access to your life and create the new world, that vision of the new world that God has given. Mm, I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate it. Yeah. What would it look like if we had that kind of inclusion in our communities? I want to encourage you if you're listening and thinking to yourself, that can't be real. It sounds too good to be true. You're not alone, but it is that simple. We are here inviting you to the proverbial table. Come, eat, and experience a deeper, fuller life. And like you said in the podcast, it's not rocket science. You can do this as well. It's as simple as inviting people over for a meal, playing a game, going to movies, to the park, for bike rides, just being together. 
when you spend your time with people and listen, truly listen to their experience, you're going to develop empathy, which then allows you to hear and value their perspectives. This is what we need in our country right now. This is the kind of action that will bring justice and healing to the oppressed. It's love, it's empathy, it's compassion. That is what we are trying to cultivate at Timbrook Group. It's why we do the podcast. It's why I blog. It's why my wife paints. It's why we make music together. If you're in Bloomington and want to be a part of something like this, reach out. Email us at info at timbrook.group or go to our website, which is simple. Just type in timbrook.group into your browser, and that's us. Everyone is welcome. That's the key. It's the beauty, the ease of it all. Everyone is welcome. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm Trent, signing off until next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Music for this season of the Curator's Cup podcast is brought to you by Whitaker. To listen to more of their work, go find them on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere music is sold. You can also find them on their website at whitakerband.com. This podcast is produced by Timbrook Group. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, share us with your friends, let us know what you want to hear more of. You can also support our podcast by going to our website, timbrook.group backslash podcast, and clicking on support or by emailing us at support at timbrook.group. Thanks for listening, and keep on creating.